This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Men are not living as long as women in the U.S. In fact, on average, they're living nearly six years less than women. And in every age group across their lifespans, boys and men face a higher risk of death than women and girls. That's according to the CDC. So why does this life expectancy gap exist? Some people point to biological factors like high levels of testosterone weakening the immune system. Others point to social factors such as masculinity, also a lack of support. Now, it's hard to actually pinpoint one thing and call that the sole reason. But regardless, men's health has taken a seat on the back burner. So with us now to discuss is Dr. Omar Rahim, professor of urology and director of the Men's Wellness Center at the University of Chicago. Welcome to Reset, Dr. Rahim. Hi, Sasha. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Also here, Dr. Sam Wainwright, general internist, pediatrician, and health services researcher at UI Health. Thank you for joining us. Sasha, thanks for having us. So, Dr. Rahim, let's start with you. I mean, your thoughts, first of all, on that data I just mentioned. Absolutely astonishing data. I mean, I think this is overdue. I think men are suffering in silence for many, many years now. And we know that women's health has been taking the lead for decades. Uh, Men's are behind taking the back seat, which is absolutely really not acceptable in the year 2023. You said women's health has been taking the lead. What do you mean by that? You can see the women's uh, health initiatives uh, across the board. Every single hospital or big practice has a women's specialist uh, that uh, taking care of women as a whole, that including reproductive health, um, you know, sexual health, and, and and the likes of that. Men's we lacking men's health programs in our hospitals now. There is some push to create those men's uh, health centers where it become more comprehensive for them to, to seek health and to seek medical advice. Yeah. That CDC data, Dr. Wainwright says, you know, on average, men are living nearly six years less than women. Are you surprised? You know, the way I tend to think about it and what makes me often so surprised by that data is not so much that we lack men's health programs, though I think we certainly need them, but rather that men have controlled the power of production, of force, of health and wealth in our society for tens of thousands of years. And we talk about like structural determinants of health and people who are you know, lacking in resources, having worse health health outcomes. So why is the gender that has, for human history, had the most resources having the worst health outcomes? And I think that confounding to me is where the really interesting questions come from. Well, what do you think are are, are some of the biggest things that are, are contributing to men dying younger than women? I mean, I think the CDC report that sort of prompts a lot of this conversation shows that it's it's health is a part of it. Our cardiovascular disease outcomes, our cancer outcomes for men are worse. But I think if you look at it, COVID is part of the huge fall off in men's life expectancy over the last three years. Mm -hmm. Substance use, mental health, deaths of what we call deaths of despair, which I think needs a more nuanced conversation, but suicide, violent death, substance use, tobacco use, things that are socially influenced are driving a lot of why men die younger and at every age, in childhood, in adolescence, in young adulthood, in old age, men die sooner. Yeah. And I think we have to leverage our healthcare systems to address what we can work on as doctors and also force ourselves to think structurally in our society around why men who have, on, on the surface and at many layers, advantage are dying younger. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a moment ago that women's health takes the lead often, Dr. Rahim. And, and what's interesting there is that at the same time, care for them isn't always great or isn't always accessible. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, it has its own challenges. I think if you take, for example, the pink ribbon uh, really risen to the top on any uh, sport events or any major 
social events, uh, highlighting the women's need and women's health need. Um, so I mean, I'm sure they have their own challenges uh, dealing with, with women health in general. But I think, uh, likewise, I think men has similar, even probably more challenges. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, it's been said that uh, there are some barriers like you know social um, in depression, uh, some factors that can uh, limit men to uh, to access those health health needs. Uh, men's uh, wellness, men's health programs are important to highlight and make them aware that this needs to be done for them to live longer. The New York Times recently reported about why men don't go to the doctor. Uh, a Cleveland-based urologist mentioned in the article and said, quote, it's well documented that compared to women, men are much worse at preventative care, end quote. Uh, so before we dig deeper, have you both seen that to be true in your experience? Preventive oh. care. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that the ways in which sort of the movement to centralize men's health and formalize it can help overcome some of this because it is universally sort of very visible to me in primary care practice here in yeah. Chicago that women grow up, they generally continue to access the healthcare system after, you know, adolescence because they might need a pap smear or access to contraception and generally are getting sort of routine touch points with the healthcare system in a way that y- you right. know, young adult Monthly, men- Monthly, yearly, there are dates that we know that we have to go back as yeah. women. And I think men do not traditionally have that. There's not a lot of recommendations for young men in their 20s and even 30s for sort of universal access of the healthcare system, and men don't. And I think the other thing that we see constantly is men really come to seek care for three reasons. Their job said they needed a physical, in which case they really don't want to say anything's wrong because they need to work, right? They have a financial incentive to say nothing's wrong. Right. And we try our best to uncover something that might harm them in their job. But often they say, I'm fine. I just need this paper to go to work. Their spouse, their partner, often a woman in their life says, like, you have been complaining about this for too long, and they get dragged in. Something's really bad. And then they have a very negative experience with us in the clinic because they waited so long to come in until something was very bad. Uh Or they're concerned about their sexual health. And that, I think, is the harbinger of so many other things. But I think men really care about their ability to perform well sexually. And that fear that something's wrong in that department will bring men into the doctor in a way that few other things will. And outside of that, I don't think many men are regularly seeking preventive care. So in other words, when something goes wrong or someone says, it's time to go, right? Because, you know, we're we're trying to pay you and you need to do it for this job. Or your partner is like, honey, you should go to the you should go to the doctor. That arm is supposed to be attached. Yeah. I mean, on the same point, Dr. Rahim, I wanted to ask you something because a 2022 poll out of Orlando Health, it found 65 percent of men surveyed. They believe they didn't have to go to the doctor's office because they're, quote, naturally healthier than most people. Oh my God! This is uh, this is amazing. I mean, this is high level of of uh, really uh, uh, need and met need to educate all men. I mean, they, they need to go to the doctor. Uh, as has been said here, I think uh, preventative medicine is important for them. I think you take, for example, ED erectile dysfunction, for example, as a harbinger or check engine light goes off, uh, which indicate underlying cardiovascular disease, for example, or even metabolic disorders in men. So if you are young, uh, below the age of forty, and you have ED. That's don't sit and don't wait. Don't mm-hmm. just ignore that sign. This could be uh, an opportunity for you to get plugged into the health system where you get evaluated completely for uncovering major medical problems like diabetes, for example, obesity and cardiovascular health. So I think prevention is a huge. The other thing is really important is prostate cancer and prostate health in general. I think PSA check is important for our men, 
over the age of 50. Uh, that's a number second num- uh, cause of mortality for men after yeah. after cardiovascular disease or even lung cancer. So prostate cancer is a huge in our uh, in our uh, community. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm thinking of some of the men in my life and men that I've come across in the over the years, and I've heard there's sort of a theme that I've heard, especially when they get to a certain age, as to why they don't go to the doctor, and they talk about how evasive the appointment is, right? I'm sure you hear that as well in your practice. I do. I mean, I, I get I get blamed by doing a rectal examination, for example. <laughs> they don't like it. Uh, but I tell them, hey, this is the the, the finger wave or really j- you know digital examination that uncover uh, underlying uh, malignancies in the prostate, which is a huge. So we, we use that with the PSA to detect yeah. prostate cancer. So it's one of the rules or screening tools we have in the medical setting to detect to uncover cancer. And it's really important. Yeah. <laughs> you need to do it. Does access to insurance play a role in this issue, Dr. Oh, Wainwright? Absolutely. And I think the ways in which we engage with healthcare and the way it's structured guides how men come in to see us. And I think one of the biggest things is, like we said, if, if it doesn't hurt, it's not broken. But we know that cardiovascular hypertension, high blood pressure, you don't feel it almost ever until it's really bad. Silent disease. And for so many men, they have all these responsibilities in their life, perhaps to their family, their job, mm-hmm. their friends, their other priorities. They're not thinking in three months from now, I want to make sure I can get into this doctor's clinic to check something that I can't feel that I'm going to have to take a pill for, maybe for the rest of my life. And there's just a lot of disinterest in engaging with something that they can't feel as opposed to a sports injury or even you know difficulties with erection, which that'll draw people's attention, which is not to minimize those things, but to say many men, you know, Preventive care costs money, especially with people who have high deductible health plans, Medicaid, or uninsured. It's hard to get them to spend the money and take the time for the cheap things that I might do in primary care that could uncover severe disease, but that might not happen for decades to come. And that value to the guy on the street that we're talking to yeah. is is opaque. It's distant. It's hard to convince. Something that we found while doing research to prepare for this conversation today if you search on Google Men's Clinic Chicago, a majority of the top results, they take you to clinics that focus on care that's related to hormone therapy or sex drive, pain management, sports injuries. Why are there so many men's clinics that focus on those areas, Dr. Wainwright? Well, I think a big part of it is a consumer-driven culture. A lot of these clinics do not operate in the insurance marketplace. They really are selling a very limited construction of masculinity and manliness to men because they'll pay for it. Just like a gym membership or other things that you can pay for to make you feel buff and strong and manly. I think medications for impotence, you know, testosterone treatments that are largely not indicated medically often are sold to patients as consumers Mm. to spend money. And it doesn't help us uncover, you know, like if you get a medication from an online pharmacy such as Viagra, you're not being screened for high blood pressure. No one's checking your blood pressure. No one's checking your cholesterol. And you're missing what true health might look like in order to you know, improve an important part of your life, but it's not the whole picture. And I think we're sold this very limited picture. And actually, I, I actually echo what you just said, Ashley. I think at the University of Chicago, we took a more holistic approach to address this issue. I think creating a men's, men's wellness clinic whereby there's an almost comprehensive approach to men's health, not only for ED or, or low testosterone issues, uh, which I see as a, as a urologist in my, in my clinics, but also 
and covering then like metabolic problems, hypertension, diabetes, mm. uh, sleep med- problems, disorders, mental health, which is huge. So at the University of Chicago, we have linked it into a network of doctors. The patient gets plugged in quickly by a quick uh, consultation, whether it's a virtual consultation or even in person, to get address, addressing those issues and doing the testing required to be to, to address those uh, major medical problems in the future. I also want to be, give a plug-in really to the huge work that the American Urological Association and the Society of Social Medicine of North America, the SMSNA, has done in, in creating a checklist for men's health, oh. which has been really hi- highlights, highlighting the major uh, five, six steps that doctors need to do for their patients, for their men's patients. Can you share some of those now? Absolutely, which is basically looking at there are more urological specific and there's more like a PCP or primary care specific. For example, hypertension be mentioned, diabetes, weight loss, PSA check for prostate health, ED, low testosterone, um, a routine checkup every year that men has to undergo to uh, be more compliant every year with the screening for major medical conditions. What are the leading causes of death in men? So cardiovascular disease, by which we generally mean the consequences of high cholesterol and hypertension, things like heart attacks and strokes, increasingly, especially in young men, it's accidents and unintentional injuries, which can include things like car accidents, include things like violent injury. And then, you know, what we talked about a little earlier, and I think is an important component of men's health that, you know, doesn't start or end with the genitals is substance use, depression, anxiety, despair, and the ways in which that can ultimately lead to premature death at a young age. In Chicago, a thing that I am struck by on a daily basis is the degree of unidentified high blood pressure and high cholesterol in men in their 20s, 30s, 40s, where they don't come to see me until after they've had their first heart attack, never having been told consistently Mm. before that they had high blood pressure or that they had diabetes, the things that put you at risk for a heart attack. Often, and I think part of what we're both as sort of people focused on men's, the health of men, is many men don't ever seek care until something bad has happened. So tell me what role you both play in trying to solve this problem as physicians. You first, Dr. Wainwright. So I think one is to acknowledge that the beginning and end of men's health doesn't change in a doctor's office, that it is forces in our society that have set men up to be less healthy than women and less healthy than men 10 years ago, right? Like the CDC report now shows that in 1996, that we have reverted to 1996 levels of health expectation for men. So I think to say the doctor's office is not where all of this changes, but it is a place where a lot of this starts. And I would say changing our cultural expectations around what men sort of deserve as health and investing in their health upstream. Mm -hmm. So things like coming in to get screened for high cholesterol, seeing if your blood pressure is high, evaluating your family history for risk of cancer, which so many men tell me, oh, I had, you know, I've got an uncle and a dad and a grandmother, all who died of cancer in their 40s or 50s. That sort of intergenerational health loss builds and snowballs in a way that we have to really change the conversation around investing in yourself because you can live longer than, you know, your ancestors and your family members and the people you know who, for lots of good reasons, didn't come to the doctor. Yeah. What's your role in this? Absolutely. I think acting as an ambassador for men's health. 
I think locally at the local hospital, creating a men's health program, for example, at the hospital, which doesn't, by the way, require much of resources. I mean, I told you about the online resource we have free free of charge mm-hmm. for, for any doctors to get access to those resources and be just compliant with those uh, steps that men should follow and advocate for them. So acting as ambassador, ambassador for your local hospital, promote men's health. What does it mean at the local level? What does it mean to the, uh, to, to, to the local person who lives in the south, 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 south side of Chicago, for example, who are very underserved area? Mm-hmm. Um, that meaning that you need to go to check for a PSA every year, right? If you're age of 50 and over. Uh, if you have low testosterone, you need to check have blood blood levels. If you have a uh, you know, a, a fertility problem. You need to probably get a, a SEMA analysis, for example, for yeah. fertility or reproductive health. So simplifying immense health to the masses uh, is, is really important. We've been talking with Dr. Omar Rahim, a <coughs> professor of urology and director of the Men's Wellness Center at the University of Chicago, as well as Dr. Sam Wainwright, who's a general internist and pediatrician, also health services researcher at UI Health. God, I wish I had more time with you both. Thank you. Thank you so much. Up next, we're going to talk about how some groups are working to address a different facet of men's health, mental and emotional health. That is just ahead. Back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. Men are dying earlier than women in the U.S., and many men find themselves only going to the doctor for checkups required by their employers or when their partners urge them to go. When we talk about men's health, it's important to talk about both physical and mental health. Now, in 2021, the Survey Center on American Life found that men are also experiencing what's called a friendship recession. These social problems are also impacting their physiological health, too. So we're joined now by leaders of men's groups here in Chicago. They're working to bring men together and also to destigmatize conversations about health. Todd Adams is executive director of Men Living. Hey, Todd. Hi. How are you? Eric Treese is leadership coach and leader trainer for the Mankind Project. Thank you for joining us, Eric. Thank you. And Mervyn Colin Canham is also a co-leader of the Mankind Project. He's founder of the Holding Space Project in South Africa as well. Hi, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start with you, Todd. Define what a men's group is. Well, there's a lot of different men's groups, and I, my hope is that anybody who happens to be listening, uh, there's there's so many more now than there were ten years ago when I started Men Living. When I Googled men's groups, it was always attached to a church, which is fine, but I didn't want to start that. So I started in my living room. And it's a it's a place for guys to be able to connect authentically, vulnerably. And um, I didn't have that in my life. So I decided to start a group out of my living room. And it resulted as uh, from a golf weekend I had with my college buddies. And I realized I didn't have a single moment mm. of authentic conversation with these guys. And meanwhile, my wife will go out with her girlfriends and know all these different things. And I just kind of saw my future in front of me. And I'm like, this isn't going to work. So the only rules for those first few meetings were, we're not going to watch TV and we're not going to drink beer. We're just going to get in a circle and we're going to have conversations about what's going on in our lives. What's your goal for the men who participate in this? For them to be vulnerable. You know, vulnerability is the thing that we are most afraid of as men. We're conditioned out of it from when we were little kids. You know, boys don't cry, men don't cry, Mm -hmm. all those lies that we're taught growing up and all we're trying to do is untie the knots that we were given by our society since we were little boys. How about the Mankind Project, Eric? What's what's your mission? Uh, International men's organization uh, serving uh, 14 global regions, 26 countries. We've had 75,000 men involved over the last, since 1985. And the hallmark of what we do is a weekend training for men, uh, which is an initiatory experience where guys get to come and take a look at their lives 
and what's working, what's not working, who pays the cost. Uh, and also it's about connections. So we provide, uh, we help men kind of find missions of service, I groups in which they can connect and continue the work, reveal emotional um, uh, authenticity mm-hmm. and in- emotional intelligence and step more and more into their vulnerability. You're also a part of Mankind, uh, Mervin, but I-, I want you to tell us more about the Holding Space Project. How did you get into this line of work? So so what happened with the Holding Space Project was we, we there was a big need. I mean, especially in South Africa with the suicide rate, in, in particular with men, and particularly with men of color, we, we, we needed a platform for, for us and a, a space where we could just be ourselves without ego because we found that the suicide rate was just insane and mm. the loneliness of men being isolated. So then I reached out to a guy who's a, is a, is a visual artist and he's amazing and his work spoke about toxic masculinity. Um, his name's Justice Mukele and then what we did was we, get, we partnered up together and we've been running for about maybe five months now and we, we, we've been doing great. The outcomes have been amazing because, I mean, the first night we put out a call for, for for this work and we had 50 men come you know so and it's just been That's incredible just exactly just having a space for us to just mm. be without all the pressures and all the, the, the these titles we carry in this world you know? yeah. yeah yeah a lot on the shoulders of men for sure yeah. Yeah. so todd you ask these guys to come and be vulnerable mm-hmm. what do the conversations look like then uh, could be anything, you know. What are you hiding? What are you unwilling to look at? Um, you know, how's your, how's your relationship with your kids? How's your relationship with your partner? Um, you know, and ask honestly. And I remember I used to always wait for guys to get vulnerable, and I realized I was doing it wrong. I had to start. I had to initiate vulnerability. You have to model it. So when a guy asks mm-hmm. me now how I'm doing, I'm going to ask answer honestly, not just fine. So, um, and there's a lot of, and what I've realized is the more that um, I started initiating more vulnerable parts of myself, guys are more than willing to step through that door. They're just scared to start it. So that's how I did it. I just started modeling, like, this is really, I'm struggling with this relationship in my life or something at work. And it's not always, you know, it's not always going well. So the more vulnerable we are about our, the adversity that we face uh, the more likely it is that we're going to connect more authentically and it's going to be more long-lasting. At least that's the hope. Eric, do you find it challenging to get folks to open up at Mankind? Yeah, yes, yes and no. When I was listening to Todd, I was thinking vulnerability is also, it's also about celebrating. Celebrating the gold and brilliance and awesomeness of my life and the lives of men. Mm. It's not always about, you know, what am I afraid of or what am I hiding and repressing and denying what what can I celebrate? Can I let that? Can is it okay for me to be like excited about my kids or my life or my family? It reminds me there was uh, we did a workshop one time and there was a professor from Minnesota and he brought this video in and it was like a security video. It was a it was a, a video of a man being told that he was about to be a grandfather by mm-hmm. his wife, and he played it so cool when his wife told him. And the minute she left, then he started jumping for joy. Mm. So in other words, he was unwilling to sh- express joy yeah. to his own wife. Right. And, the, and that just gives you an idea of the mindset that us guys are conditioned to think is we have to be cool all the time. And to be jumping for joy is not a cool thing. And but, that's wow. what we're trying to say. Does stop. that ring true to you, Mervin? But I think the big, the, the, when, when, you, when you asked me the question, I just think like, you know, because it gave birth from what he's talking about. He's talking about the Mankind Project. And I think because these things have been happening in secret, right? 
MKP has been happening in secret. So for the holding you mean these space, men's groups, yes, yes, exactly. So with the holding space, it was more about like how do we bring bring this thing to the forefront and let it be known by public and that it is there. Do you know what I mean? Because MKP is very hidden, you know, and we we go off into the woods and we do these men's weekends, yeah. but who has access to that? Right, right. right. And so, by M- MKP, yeah. you're talking about the Mankind Project. So, <laughs> yeah. so tell, tell us more about this stigma, Mervyn, when it comes to men talking about things like health, emotions, stresses. Well, I mean, for me, as, especially as a brown man, right, uh, you know, I, I couldn't talk about my feelings. I mean, the, the neighborhood I grew up, I grew up in a township, so the neighborhood I grew up with, I had to just keep this in to myself. But I always knew that I was a sensitive kid. And, and I kind of felt like that environment didn't support me as a sensitive kid, mm. you know. And, 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 and when it comes to vulnerability, it was like, you know, I've got to be hard, I've got to be tough, you know. And, and, and it was suppressed, you know. And, and it was almost like even in the home as well, it wasn't really encouraged for me to talk about my feelings. How did you feel about that, though? I felt angry. I was ra- I was in rage all the time. I mean, it was like, you know, it's, it's almost like something like my, my mom saying, I'll give you something to cry about, you know, mm. and then give me getting a hiding, right, for, 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 for expressing the way I feel. And, and, and the message I got was, I need to be quiet. I can't say anything. I'm, in, I'm disempowered. And what happens to that, it turns into rage. And then I then get hooked up with drugs, right? Someone spoke about drugs earlier. The, one of the doctors spoke about drugs, and yeah. that's what I did. Because with the drugs, I could express myself. I could numb the way I was feeling, mm. you know. Yeah, substance use is, is quite common. Well, what we're trying to do, what Merv was saying about how all these men's groups kind <clears> of <throat> happen in hiding. We're trying to unhide everything. and it's Are you fun. trying to destigmatize? Yes, destigmatize what go. it means to be in, in a circle of men. There's, a, there's an influence out there that I'm guessing most of your audience knows. His name is Andrew Tate, and he is a... He's a social influencer, and he just uh, is, in my opinion, a revolting human being who speaks out against women, um, toxic masculine to the hundredth degree. And unless there's conversations like the ones that we are all having right here, these young men are going to be attracted to any message that happens to be in front of them. So what we're trying to do is counterbalance. I just read an article yesterday that Andrew Tate has had over 13 billion views on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a sad thing. So what we're trying to do in these groups is counterbalance that and model what healthy masculinity looks like. Yeah, toxic masculinity. I, I saw your, your, you nod there as, as Todd mentioned that, Eric. Well, yes. Well, normalizing the conversation can, I think, help, mm. you know, balance that out. Step more and more to like mature masculine, authentic, mature masculinity. And the beauty in that is like, what does it mean for you? Does it have to be prescribed by somebody else. I get to come here and explore, look at my own feelings, take a look at my own life. And what does it mean for me to be a man today? I'm a dad of four daughters, but I'm also Mm -hmm. ex-army. I've coached football on the West side, but I was a stay-at-home dad for 10 years. Being able to play in all of those realms has helped me define my own definition of masculinity. Well, and it's funny, like the term toxic masculinity is so volatile. It's, It's such a volatile expression. And I have talked to groups of men and they get so triggered when I bring up the word toxic in front of masculinity because they think it's an attack on them. And it's really, for me, masculine is just a characteristic of traits that both men and women have. And for me, toxic masculinity is violence and super aggressiveness. And can we step into mature masculinity Mm -hmm. and not, not this toxic masculinity that is being 
fed to us through yeah. all these different social platforms. So, Mervin, how do you reach men that aren't particularly interested in joining a men's group? Because I know it's <laughs> got to be easier to recruit men that maybe they're already looking for a group like yours. And they're like, oh, great, you exist? Fantastic. I'll sign up. Mm-hmm. What about the guys that thinks he doesn't need this? Look, I mean, I think it's different. I mean, it's different strokes for for, for different folks. You know, for me, it's like, <laughs> I like, I'm not, for me, I think it's like, I'm not, you know, if the guy's not interested, it's okay. You know, like, uh, it's just like. We meet him where they're at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so and it's just about do. holding that space right, as well. Right, hold you know? the space. When, whenever he, whenever he, when, when, whenever he's, and I've had those interactions, whenever he's ready, he'll reach out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, in Johannesburg, we had this thing called, uh, we had this hashtag saying men are trash. You know? Men it, are trash. Men are trash. And it ran for a, quite a long time. You know? Who, and where did that about, originate? Because it was all about, because it was in conjunction with toxic masculinity. Because what happened is, you know, women aren't safe in South Africa. Women, women, women don't have the privileges that I have as, as a man by, by going out at night, you know. So there's a lot of these, there's a lot of those privileges that I have. And men are killing women, you know. But it's also like, and, and when women came up with this, when, with, with, the, with the hashtag men are trash, I was like, yeah, we are trash. Because this is what we're doing. Mm. And, and, and even in the inclusion of saying we, because this is the, in, instead of othering and saying, no, those, bad, those, those are bad men and we the good men. I don't believe in that. It's, it's a we problem as men, yeah. you know, that we face. Wow, so tough. I mean, what is next for the Mankind Project, Eric? Well, and, and how can folks get involved? Yes, yeah, so mkp.org. Go there, fill out. There's a form that says connect with a brother, right? And you just fill that out and you'll be connected with folks. The pandemic really helped open some virtual doors for us. So we have lots more offerings virtually, which has brought men from all over the world, you know, over the Internet, doing really awesome trainings. Um, but we're going to continue our the New Warrior Training Adventure, which is our weekend-long Hallmark training. We're doing that all over the world. Mervin and I just led one in Michigan. We had 25 men come and do it. So those will continue Mm. literally on six out of seven continents. Um, And and, yeah, and the cool part about about the Mankind Project, it gave birth here, right? And what happened then, it moved to Africa. So we're also having our own weekend in May in in Johannesburg as well. Oh, nice. Okay. The 19th of May um, till the 21st. So that's and all that information well. would be on the yeah, website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. MKP.org. Yeah. So does Men Living have any upcoming events that folks can look out for, Todd? We have six programs every week. They're all virtual. Um, we do some in-person stuff, but we're mostly a virtual uh, platform. And so if there's any guys out there or any women who know men that want to connect deeply and live fully, we have six programs every week. We also have a platform called Men Living Connect. You fill out a profile, it takes you five minutes, and we match you up with other guys just to start creating friendships because friendships is what we are most lacking, authentic friendships. And what we're trying to do is create a catalyst for guys to make friends, whether they're across the street or across the world. And we have created that platform at menliving.org. That's wonderful. Todd Adams is executive director of Men Living. Mervyn Colin Canham is co-leader of the Mankind Project and founder of the Holding Space Project. We're on Instagram. You're on Instagram. What's, yeah. your, what's your handle? The Holding Space Project. The Holding Space Project yeah. on IG. And Eric Treese is a leadership coach and leader trainer also with uh, the Mankind Project. Thank you all. Great Thank discussion. You. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you.